Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And this week we're mixing things up a little bit because we're having a swanky new desk fitted here in the Calon FM studios. So we thought that we'd go back into the archives and share with you five of our favourite business personalities from the last 70 shows. Is That's it 70 right. Show? 70 yes, 70 shows. This is 71. This is show 71. So sit tight and prepare to be enlightened by the likes of Dame Stephanie Shirley, Dame Scylla Snowball, Zig Ziglar, Malcolm Walker, and our all-time favourite guy, Ernesto Soroli. Callan FM on 105 FM. I'm going to say it, guru. <laughs> it's guru time. It's guru time. And <laughs> Interestingly, this is Heather's choice. So go on, Heather, you lead on with well, the guru. The guru this week is a, a gentleman by the name of Ernesto Ciroli, uh from the Ciroli Institute. He is a guy, I've, I've actually met him. Um, She's touched him. I, I've shaken his hand. Legitimately, <laughs> yes. yes. He, um, I came across a TED talk that he did, which absolutely blew my mind. And we'll talk a bit more about that in a little while. I know that uh, Tracy loves it as well. And having seen it, I linked with him on LinkedIn. Um, and I said to him, one day I hope to meet you. Uh, no, but he travels internationally. Anyway, it turned out that he, bizarrely, somebody I know, knew that I loved the bones of him and told me that he was going to be in Newtown. And so I engineered an invitation to the event that he was at and I went and met him and he was everything that I would have hoped for and more. Uh, he's he's an Italian, he's, he's charismatic, he's passionate, he's real, just... And not just a little bit sexy. And a little bit sexy, yes, <laughs> yes. But he's got he's got a sense of humour. But my goodness, you just you just need to see him. You just need to watch his TED talk. You do actually, because if you Google him, there's not a lot no. out there on him. So the other um, gurus that we've talked about on the last um, four shows, you, you Google Tom Peters, Peter Drucker, Charles Handy, Ken Blanchard. There's loads and loads yeah. of information, even their own websites. There's loads yeah. and loads of stuff. And Ernesto Soroli seems to be, you know, the the essence of him is in how he talks. He appears not to have an ego. And certainly when I met him, he was very much about who was in the room and um, and what do I do? And, yeah, he was. he made you feel that you were the most interesting person in the room yeah, and that is a great skill. I'm guessing then if we if we go on to his TED talk, it, um, the one that we're referring to here is a TEDx talk, yes. which is a, a locally hosted talk. And we have TEDx in Hollyhead as well, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about as it comes up in the next mm -hmm. few months. Mm -hmm. This was a TEDx talk in Christchurch. And this may give you an insight as to why he, he made Heather feel as if she was the only person in the room, because his talk was entitled, Want to Help Someone? Shut up and listen. And and that really is a way to engage yes. people. If you yeah. listen, we talked about it last week, didn't we? Yeah. Is that a whole listening thing? It got nearly, well, it's got nearly three million views. On and, only, and only one million of those are you and I. <laughs> <laughs> I do hope that um, YouTube can somehow sort out the, the wheat from the chaff and knows when we've watched it multiple yes. times. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. I'm hoping that's, that's th three million unique views. <laughs> Tell us about the. Tell us what you took from the TEDx talk then. Well, it, he, 
one of the... I mean, he, he tells a great story. Tell us that story. Tell okay. us the tomato story. Okay. Well, essentially, he's um, he, he developed something called Enterprise Facilitation, which is a fancy name. But basically, um, he tells this story of work that he'd done in... Um, Zambezi, wasn't it? Zambia. Zambia, sorry. In, yeah, in Zambia. And he'd gone he'd gone to a community and he said that, you know, we turned up, uh, we're white, um, West, you know, Westerners, and we turned up and we purported to tell these people that they needed to grow crops and feed themselves. And we taught them how to grow tomatoes. And other Italian crops. And other, yes. yeah, and zucchini in and things. Yes. <laughs> and he said, you know, we, we just did it to them. And... Uh, these tomatoes grew and they were massive and everything was wonderful and they kept we kept saying you know this is what you need to be doing you'll feed yourselves everything will be wonderful and then one day just before they harvested the tomatoes overnight uh, the hippos came out of the river and ate everything within sight <laughs> and the next day they said why didn't you tell us about the hippos and, uh, and they they said you didn't ask this and is, this is why we can't have agriculture. This is why we don't have agriculture. And it was that classic, you, you helicopter in, you do something at somebody without listening to why they've not done it in the first place because they probably would have done if it was possible. I love a comment he makes, though, um, is that he was actually proud of that aid, aid project because at least they fed the hippos. Yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's just just great and and this whole you know shut up and listen thing is you know people will tell you what they need you just need to listen to what they're saying and then he talks about signposting them to the things that they need to get them to where they want to be you don't have to do it for them you don't have to have any knowledge of the thing they want to do you just need to be able to signpost them to places where they might get the help they need. Yes, it was in this talk that he brought up the, the concept of enterprise facilitation. Yeah. He yeah. talks about um, the, the aid worker or, or the, or in, indeed, if you're talking about enterprise, even in rural Wales, which yeah. is, is actually a project that has been going on, yeah. um, you become a servant of the local people who have a dream to become a better person and you shut up. Mm. Never arrive in a community with any ideas sit with the people and find out what they want to do. Mm. And I love the, the point he makes is that you can give someone an idea, but if they're not interested in it, they're not going to do it. Mm. And the key is, what is their passion? Yeah. And then how can you help them to grow that passion? Yeah. He says, don't offer advice, offer people with passion the information they need. And, that, you know, that's... and I like this analogy as well, because he said that the, um, the enterprise facilitator is like the family doctor of business. Yes. Because uh, Ernesto Sorelli's father was a, a family doctor. And uh, I think that's where he got the analogy from. But um, it helps you find the resources to transform your passion into a way to make a living. You sit down and you listen. And he's, he's really against the idea of um, community meetings. Yeah, oh, he really working is. Working one-to-one, not in a big meeting. Yeah. He says entrepreneurs don't come to community yeah. meetings. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, so that was the first talk, three million yes. views. Yeah. But then after that, the internet goes a bit quiet on Ernesto. Mm, mm. Um, and I, I came across another talk um, that he did, and I'm sorry, I don't see where it was, but it was a TEDx talk called Enterprise Facilitation. It's only got 13,000 views. So I, I added a view last night. Um, and he talks, he gives another story. I don't know if you've heard this one, Heather, about um, building a bridge in Guatemala. 
Okay. And uh, the people there said to, it was the American Peace Corps. So they went to, um, they went to Guatemala, said, we're going to build you a bridge so that you can trade with that side of the river. And the people said, no, you can't build a bridge there. And they said, yes, we can with the American Peace Corps. Look at watches. <laughs> oh, you can do anything. Yeah, so they, they had, because of the, the, um, the land, the topography of the land, they had to build quite a steep ramp on that side and they went around to the other side of the jungle, built quite a steep ramp that side. And then the rainy season came and the banks of the river shifted by about a mile. <laughs> And they were left with these <laughs> these ramps going up to nowhere. And he says he's convinced that, you know, in, in thousands of years, people are going to come and they're going to go, what, what, is what this? was this? Why was yeah. this here? Some sort of mythical thing. And he, he reckons that Stonehenge is an American Peace Corps project. Right. <laughs> and that's typical of the humour that he uses. One The one thing that I that I took from Sorolli, and he mentions it in, in the TEDx talk uh, about the, t- the hippos and the tomatoes. He says, nobody started a company alone. He mentions that, um, he, he, he says that there are three critical jobs within a, an organisation, within a company, and the person has not been born who could do all three critical jobs, and they are make it, sell it, look after the money. You may be able to make it and sell it, you may be able to sell it and look after the money, but you will not be. You may be able to make it and look after the money, but you will not be able to do all three. And when I met him, he asked me what I did, and I, I explained. And he said, "So I'm a self-employed trainer." And he said, "I hope you've got somebody looking after the money." <laughs> I was like, "Oh my goodness!" You know, <laughs> and that he calls that the Trinity of Management, yes, and yes. and there's a whole field of study in that area. But that really links into something that a very wise MD once said to me. He, he said that a really good MD needs to be able to do two of the three of these. Tri- he he didn't refer to the Trinity of Management or Ernesto, mm-hmm. but he said of sales. Mark, uh, sales, production and finance, a good MD needs to be able to do two of those yep. and hire somebody who's really good at the third. Yes. Not necessarily so that he does those, but so that he's got those skills. So it yes. sort of fits in that, you know, the MD can do, can get a good overview. We're running out of time. We're going to have to oh, go. Wow. I knew this would happen with Ernesto. Come up with your quote, the, the quote that you'd like to um, save for um, posterity. The If I have to choose one, it's the future of every community lies in capturing the passion, energy and imagination of its own people. And for community, you could read business, you could read school, you can read anything. Uh, Yeah, that's that's the one that I take. And uh, it was really difficult. I mean, you you can't do a Google search and find loads of quotes from Ernesto. You have to do it by listening to his talks. And this is the one that I took from the TEDx talk um, called enterprise facilitation and he's talking about the millennials he says millennials are the new victorians they are going to invent everything we need to move our civilization forward they want to do well but they want to do good and they believe in entrepreneurship uniting our community on 105 fm canon fm you're listening to the business community on Callan FM. And this week, the studio is undergoing some refurbishment. So instead of presenting a live show, Heather and myself have gone through and selected our favorite business leaders, business gurus to profile for you. Next up is Dame Stephanie Shirley. Callan FM on 105 FM. Now, it's International 
Women's Day. And this lady has only been really on my radar since Heather told me about her. And uh, you went to see her, didn't you, to talk? Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. And we are not going to do this lady justice in the amount of time that we have available. So... I just hope that we wet your whistle so that you research her and, and find out about her. She's an absolutely incredible lady. I was privileged to see her give a talk in Oswestry uh, a few years ago, now, about three or four years ago, and I was completely blown away. And everybody in the room, she had us just in the palm of her hand. Her name is Dame Stephanie Shirley. And I'll just read, I'll read you the opening line of... Um, opening paragraph of her book uh, which is called let it go uh, and this covers this charts her whole life she was a hugely successful is a hugely successful woman uh, in her own right in business and now she basically is given away most of her money she's a huge philanthropist but i think it, it will set the tone if i read these these words to you my earliest memory of england is of liverpool street station it was a grey day in July, a few weeks before the outbreak of World War II. I'm not sure if it was raining as I stumbled from train to platform, or indeed what time of day it was. All I remember is the shadows, and the great cast-iron pillars and walkways, and the pain in my foot. I was five years old. My nine-year-old sister and I had been travelling for more than two days on a grim, tearful journey from Vienna. We knew scarcely half a dozen words of English between us and I, at least, had only the vaguest idea of where we were going and why. There were about a thousand of us on the train, all Jewish, all children, apart from two young women charged with looking after us all, and nearly all distraught. We had numbered tickets hanging around our necks as if we were lost property. And in a sense, we were. And that's, wow. how, she, that's how she came to the UK and... You know, that's a story that is not unique to her. But as you find out more about this amazing lady, you realise just how far she travelled from from that. And and she goes on through her book to talk about um, her parents and her sister and the family that took her in uh, and her relationship with her mother, who did in time come to the UK. And the reason that she was speaking uh, in, in Oswestry is that she spent some time living in Oswestry. Her mother came to the UK and found work in Oswestry. And uh, Dame Stephanie was um, staying with, who, who was then known as her aunt and uncle. Um, but her sister decided to go and live with her mother. And so Stephanie stayed with, uh, and Stephanie is, is, is a name that she chose for herself. It wasn't her original name. Um, and she decided to stay with them. And, and she says that, you know, they are her parents to all intents and purposes. Uh, but but she she made a life here and she decided uh, in, in 1962, um, she got a job at working at the post office and uh, got interested in computers and computing and systems and decided in 1962 that she would set up her own software distribution company. And that's when her life really just changed massively. Uh, and she says, I decided to start my own company selling software. That's an uncontroversial sentence written nearly 50 years later. At the time, it sounded mad. And indeed, many people thought that she was completely crazy. But what she did was she set up a business uh, from her kitchen table. 
and she basically had nothing but she just she just started and she was one of the first people to employ freelance computer programmers so she identified that there was a resource out there that she could use and that was how she was able to set up her business from her kitchen table and she um Again, so she was pitching for business and she was looking for business. And she, this is the essence of, because she's now known as um, Dame Stephanie Shirley, but that wasn't always how she was known. She said, I'd hired a local lady, Barbara Edwards, to provide half a day week, half a day a week of secretarial assistance so that I could be certain that my letters would, would go out looking as though they'd come from the chairman of a blue chip company. She used to come to Moss Cottage, which was her home, on Wednesday afternoons with her own baby, and we would help one other help one another out with childcare as circumstances demanded. Because by this time, Dame Stephanie had her son, who was later um, who was later to die tragically. So she's doing all of this, and then she loses her child, uh, and he had he had considerable issues um, and special needs. So nothing in her life was straightforward. But still my letters failed to produce a response until Derek suggested that maybe the problem lay not with the letters themselves, but with the signature at the bottom of them. Given my experience with previous employers, it was not unreasonable to speculate that many potential customers seeing the words Stephanie Shirley at the bottom of a letter would refuse to take its proposal seriously simply because I was a woman. Derek suggested testing this theory, as you should always do, by signing a few letters, Steve Shirley, instead. I did so, and people began to respond. I've been Steve ever since. Wow. Amazing. I just can't, I just can't do this woman justice. She, she is the gentlest. Of course, she must be a, a tough cookie to get on, but she is the gentlest person. She she is not brash about this. She's, she doesn't gloat. She's not uh, bitter and twisted. You know, with the start that she had in life, you might think that she could be quite angry. Um, but no, she, and she, she, she makes no bones about it. She had a, a, a mental breakdown at one time in her life. She's really been through the ringer, but she was successful, hugely successful. Um, the, the thing that struck me when you were saying that is that the time that she set up a software company... I think that software wasn't a thing, was exactly. it? Exactly. Because yeah. I, from what I understand, the software was just what you got free with hardware. It, yeah. it wasn't even, it was the hardware that was important. Yeah. Yeah. So so that foresight that she had, yeah. which now it, it's all about the software, that yeah. the hardware is sort of oh, something you just need to run the software. Yeah. But it wasn't like that at all. She then. didn't make, it wasn't, it wasn't that she chose um, an industry that, women were prevalent in and everybody knew that they needed she as you rightly say she spotted that this was the way to go and she had the the wherewithal and the nous and surrounded herself with the right people who could help her move forward and i just think well, well i'd heard of her because you'd been to that talk and i i was i have to admit just jealous that i hadn't gone <laughs> there is there is no other way to describe that there was a certain amount of jealousy involved yeah, yeah. i wish i'd seen her but i've i've watched a ted talk you know me and my ted yes, talks yeah. and uh, it, this summed up quite a lot of what she said um what seems to be in the book as well um the, the ted talk is called why do ambitious women have flat heads and more about that later on what i was blown away by was the fact that when she set up this company 
she pioneered things that even now are considered quite radical. So the flexible working, the returning to work after having had children, that, you know, the working from home with your kids there, all of these sorts of things are just coming around as if they're new things. She was doing that, yeah. but she was doing it. She masked that, she, you know, that she called herself Steve. She didn't want people to know that people were working from home and, it's just amazing. She, she, it's a billion pound industry, you know, that yeah. she, she went on to, to form and just absolutely stunning. And like you say, at the TED talk, she was engaging, but she wasn't boastful. She was, she was just, she was you know, so really genuine person. and yet extraordinary. You know, she, and, and I think, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. She not only believed that she could succeed, that she'd got, but she invested in women who, you know, were stay-at-home mums. So I understand that as well as making a lot of money herself, she helped a lot of her employees to become millionaires. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned about her son. Um, he sadly had autism and uh, yeah. quite severe, and um, I don't know the circumstances of, of his death, but this is one of the reasons she's gone on to do a lot of um, charity work and the, the, the philanthropic work that she does now. Um, and and she doesn't do that looking for praise or recognition. She she didn't even really mention the details of what she does in, in this talk. No. It's just something that she does. Although uh, there was a lovely little bit in the talk where she said, uh, "One one good thing is that uh, I'm ne I can never get lost." And obviously referring to perhaps uh, dementia or, or loss of memory. She said because there'll be several charities that come looking for me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, uh, yeah. There'll always be somebody who knows where I am. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. uh, I, I think that what what she's brought, it, more people need to know about it. What she achieved, what what the way that she's gone about business, it, it really is. Um, it's a true role model and truly inspirational. Yeah, I mean, she, she, I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of speechless. Researching this and just looking at the book, and it it's just reminded me so much of that evening and and the fact that everybody was just completely blown away, and there were questions, and she answered them honestly and frankly and um yeah w was never she would tell you anything you know it, she wasn't masking anything at all she's just incredible just incredible i would urge you the book is called let it go um yeah it's available from all good bookshops yes. uh, did you get yours signed heather no i didn't because and this is ridiculous um just goes to show i i went with my husband i didn't go because i wanted to go and I'm embarrassed to say that because having seen her, it was like, why on earth did I not actively choose? My husband works in, com in he's a computer programmer. So we were going because of that. And I was just left thinking, how, have, how has this woman passed me by? Um, amazing, amazing. So this is the point of the show where we wrap it all up with a, a quote that we've chosen from our topic of the day our subject so um the one that i'm going to choose is actually from the ted talk and um the the ted talk is called why do ambitious women have flat heads and and the quote that i'm choosing is you can always tell ambitious women from the shape of their heads they're flat on the top from being patted patronizingly <laughs> and the one that i've chosen um from the book and it does not relate to business at all but it it is what she she quotes wh Auden when her son died uh he was 35 um years of age and she said and as wh Auden wrote nothing now can ever come to any good so she was at rock bottom and yet 
She carried on. Callan FM on 105 FM. You're listening to The Business Community on Callan FM. And this week, we're taking a look back in the archives at some of our favourite business personalities. Stand by for Malcolm Walker. Callan FM on 105 FM. This week's business leader is um, is somebody whose business started close to home uh, in Oswestry, which um, you might think is is a, is a bit unusual. Anyway, this is what this business now has eight over eight hundred stores worldwide, um, nationwide, and turns over around two hundred million pounds. Employs over twenty five thousand staff, uh, and started in Leg Street in Oswestry, where Malcolm Walker opened the first Iceland store. Uh, um, Walker worked in um, Woolworths in Wrexham and um, wanted to earn a little bit more money. So he and a friend started selling um, frozen Yeah, veg. loose frozen Loose frozen food, veg, yeah. yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, their employer found out, so they got sacked because they were kind of doing it as a bit of a moonlight. <laughs> he said a it was moonlight. the boost he needed. Yeah, yeah. It, and sometimes we all need a bit of a boot up the backside to, to get things moving. Um, so that was in 1970. By 1977, um, they'd, um, by 1978, they'd got 28 stores and it, it kind of ran from That's there. That's some boost, isn't it? That is a boost. So, um, yeah, Malcolm Walker is a, um, a Yorkshireman, born in 1946. Uh, and his first venture, it sounds like he um, he's always been um, quite entrepreneurial because he started off promoting dancers and, and acts. He, he used to book them at different venues and um, and obviously make money out of it. But his starting capital for Iceland was £30. Did you pick up on the bit where when he was doing the, um, the promotion for dance events that... Um Another gentleman approached him to ask if he could come in on the dance events. No. And that gentleman's name was Peter Stringfellow. Oh, really? <laughs> in the article I read, he said, well, life could have been a lot more interesting could if I'd said yes. <laughs> it would have been different, maybe. It would. I think it would have been very different. Um, it, well, yeah, I mean, I like this. I like the sound of this guy. Um, as is usual, you know, we watch videos, etc. that... There's no side to him. He, he he doesn't pretend to be anything that he's not. His business is hugely successful. It's been a roller coaster. Let's make no bones about it. It's had controversy and financial troubles, etc. But he just seems consistent. And I quite like that in the man. He just seems to be, I am what I am. I'm doing the best that I can. Uh, and, you know, okay, people will have a, a dig. But basically, he seems to be a decent kind of a chap. What What did you find? And what did you go down a rabbit hole, Tracy? I went down lots of different rabbit holes, but they didn't take me to too many different people. I, I did go to some extra people. Some extra, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the first thing I read was an article uh, my husband referred me to, um, an interview with Decker Aitkenhead in The Guardian from 2013. And Malcolm comes across as somewhat irascible in there, but... Even though it, he walked out of the interview a few times and, and sort of called us some very rude names, she still came away quite liking him. And I think that probably says um, quite a bit for for his character. And and I think the reason he was getting um, upset was that she admits herself she was trying to tease out where the line between profit and altruism lies. 
And he, as she said, he clearly thinks I'm quite mad. And I think it was this pushing this, well, the food that you sell isn't the most healthy or this, that and the other. And and as you say, I, you know, I don't know, the, the food he sells is in demand. It clearly, it, it's a business model that works for him. Is it his responsibility solely to make sure that people are eating the right food? I don't know. Well, and, and, and the business started at a time when healthy eating wasn't even on the agenda because we didn't overeat. You know, the the food that, that Iceland was selling in 1970 would be very different to the food that it's selling now. Uh, and I, you know, there is that when do we take responsibility for, for what we put into our mouths? And, yeah. you know, not suggesting that you eat out of Iceland every day, you know, all of the fatty foods and no fresh veg and all of that kind of thing. But um, but their product range has, expand, has expanded massively in yeah. recent years anyway. Well, like I say, she said she quite liked him. And um, she says it's hard not to admire a businessman who has employed the same PR advisor for 30 years. OK. And um, she actually got an email from this PR advisor the next day, which she shares right at the end of of the article um, and it says Dear Decker I hope you had a safe trip back to London after your uh, interesting interview with Malcolm yesterday and that you aren't currently bound and gagged in the boot of a Bentley so PR advisor with a bit of a sense of humour yes. as well yes um, but he is a Yorkshireman yeah. so he's going to say it like it is yeah. and that's uh, that's what I like and he left the interview but he came back in yeah. calmed calmed yep. himself down and came back in. So um, there's there's quite a few articles out there. There's another one I read in the Telegraph. Uh, it was a bit more s- straightforward than the Decker Aikenhead one, you know, just simple, straightforward questions. Um, one of them is, what annual salary do you take from the business? His response is, enough. Yep. And your personal wealth has been put at 215 million. Is this accurate? And he says, that's the rich list figure. But it's family wealth. My kids have got most of my money. It's what you do, isn't it? Diversify your wealth. And um, the other thing I I found was that um, he credits a lot of success to his wife, who he calls Rani. Um, She's got a Welsh name and he says after 50 years he still can't pronounce it. I'm not even going to try. Um, But sadly, she's been suffering from Alzheimer's since 2010, which um, may explain the reason why... um, the proceeds from the book that he wrote, Best Serve Cold, which was published in 2013, they're being donated to Alzheimer's Research UK. The The financial story of Iceland is, is quite interesting and has been quite volatile. Um, the, the business was profitable for over 30 years. And, and then in 2001, um, having merged with Booker, Iceland issued a profit warning um, which was just after Walker had dumped £13.5 million worth of shares. Um, He was holidaying in the Maldives when the warning was issued, and by the time he returned home, he was out on his ear. He was cleared of any wrongdoing by the serious fraud office three years later, but the experience stung. And as the company floundered in his absence, he scraped together a consortium in 2005 to take Iceland private again. He returned it to profit um, and uh, its comeback was complete in 2012 when he and several investors completed £1.6 billion management buyout of the firm. So, um, it, you know, he, he's he's been through the mill. He enjoys his money. He makes no apologies. He says, why should I pretend to be anything that I'm not? Um, 
you know, yes, I've earned a lot of money. He drives around with a personalised number plate, one CE. I mean, you know, and fair play to him. that he only uses once or twice a year. Yes. But there but, you go. Yeah, but but all in all. And his his children certainly seem to be... Well, yeah, it's his children. that That's the only rabbit hole I went down with this one. I, I investigated um, what his children were doing because he says he's distributed his wealth, he's diversified his wealth to his children. He's got three, a son, Richard, and... Um, a daughter, Caroline, another daughter, Alexia. Now, they're all um, working and um, successful in their own right as professional people. And hats off to them. You know, the, their father is worth an awful lot of money, but they're still uh, gone on and, Going and, and made a success yes. them, for themselves. So his son, Richard, is managing director of Iceland Foods Group, um, is chairman of a property company and a charity trustee and a member of Greenpeace, likes family, mountains and surfing. That's his Twitter profile. Um, one of his daughters, Caroline, runs an £11 million turnover company um, called Nature As Nature Intended, which is um, a company with six shops in London stocking organic and natural food, body care and supplements. And his other daughter, Alexia, was an equities trader in the city and then set up her own luxury travel business. So I say hats off to him and his family. Quite an entrepreneurial family. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. And uh, by all accounts, some of the stuff we're reading is that they're um, they're getting rid of plastic packaging, they're stopping using palm oil in their own brand foods by the end of this year, and uh, they've a good company to work for. Yes, yeah, a good place to work. And also, I have to mention, on a couple of occasions, they've offered a 10% discount to NHS and emergency services staff at Christmas and in the summer. So, hey... Come on, give them a break. Heather and myself hope you're enjoying our retrospective of business leaders and business gurus. Next up is Zig Ziglar. When we feature business gurus or motivational speakers or people who inspire us, so often they're people who have fairly recently learned, uh, achieved that accolade. But who we're talking about today is, it's a name that you probably will have seen attached to lots of quotes about positivity. Lots of quotes. Lots and Didn't lots. Didn't struggle to find a no, quote this you, week. In fact, it's very difficult to hone in on one. We're talking about Zig Ziglar. Um, he was an American, well, salesman, really. Um, he was born in 1926 and he was a motivational speaker in the days before motivational speakers existed. He was a member in 1963 of the um, the American Sales Masters um, organization. Yeah, it seems to me like the the speaking and the and the salesman role were, were wrapped into one with his career. Yes, yes, certainly, because he, he essentially he would speak at conferences and at events guiding salesmen and women, although I imagine it was mostly salesmen in 1963, um, uh, through the National Association of Sales Executives on how to sell. In 1982, he wrote a book called The Secrets of Closing the Sale. And he did bring himself up to date in 2001. Uh, He wrote Network Marketing for Dummies. So he did keep himself abreast of um, changing uh, changes in the way that things are sold. He died in 2012. uh, But he 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 talks at length about what people you know, what matters to people and how you then use what matters to them uh, to sell to them. And he he. He basically says, and this is something that I believe through and through, 
everyone is in sales, whether you're selling a product, idea, support of a cause, or getting your child to eat greens. You, we, you are always selling. We are always selling. The point at which we meet somebody, we are selling ourselves. Um, and he, he goes on to say, people will forget price, but they'll never forget poor quality or a poor choice. Um, and they generally blame the salesperson for that. So, you know, get it wrong and um, and it sticks. And I th- that is so true because so often you'll say to somebody, this is nice or that's nice or what about this or where did you get And they'll say, oh, how much was it? Oh, I can't remember. 300 quid, something like that. You know, they won't say it was £299.99. Um, it wasn't, an, or they'll say it wasn't much. But that if they've bought something and it was a total waste of money, they will say it was 299 quid and, it, it, you know, it's worth, you know, next to nothing. So he comes up with some really good rules and, and things to just keep in mind when you're uh, selling. Uh, yeah, uh, he's he's I didn't find out that much about the man. He, he was difficult yeah. to find out about him, wasn't it, Tracy? I I came away thinking that Zig Ziglar was more of a concept than the man. Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually born Hilary Hinton Ziglar, known as Zig Ziglar. But when when you do searches for Zig Ziglar, it is very much about the ideas and the books and the the talks that he did. Yeah, and not very much about the man himself. Mm-hmm. And you, if you go to the uh, Ziglar dot com website, there's very little about Zig there. Yeah, in, it's all about. Yeah, his son and the team that now run uh, the Ziggler, Zig Ziglar Corporation, um, you know, the, there's a lot about them. But Zig himself is, is, is almost a mythical character. It's like a concept, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just an idea. And um, so, yeah, he's described in most places as a salesman, a motivational speaker and an author um, in, a, in another place. They, they um, described the fact that he um, he weaves in his beliefs his christian beliefs yes. into his talking and you know that he he's uh, from what i saw it it didn't impinge too greatly but if you didn't like that style it wasn't wasn't going to be for you and also the thing that i picked up is that the way that he talks about sales does seem to be set in a particular period so one of the early books um which is called See You at the Top, was written in 1975. Um, and the one that's um, considered, um, uh, you know, sort of a handbook for um, salespeople um, is it, it's full of really useful tips. So, so Secrets of Closing the Sale, it, it's actually got persuasion techniques, which again seem a little bit outdated. Um, but I, th- I do think that they have influenced the way that um, salesmanship, saleswomanship has changed over the years. Um, and I, I was just thinking about this and then I, I came across an article that said, you know, perhaps you want to read Daniel Pink uh, to sell as human instead. So, uh, and the two are equally valid, but set in very different times and I think if you if you read Zig Ziglar's stuff in the context of today without seeing when it was when it was written and you know in the time you might feel that it's a bit outdated but I I do believe that there are things that you can take from it and um, Seth Godin actually chose um, that book uh, Secrets of Closing and Sale as one of the seven audiobooks that will change your life Um, he said he's listened to the audiobook so many times 
that he, he wore out the cassettes. So wow. it must, must have been a few <laughs> years ago. And he had to order a new set. And, and he focuses on the lessons on goal setting and motivation and closing a, de- a, a deal. Um, and Seth said he's your grandfather and my grandfather. He's Tony Robbins' grandfather. And if it w- wasn't for Zig, none of us would be here. So it, he really did start something which has now evolved. And yes, you may prefer a book like To Sell as Human, but it started with Zig. Yes, he was there. Yeah, he was there back, you know, when it wasn't even a thing. It, he was at the birth of motivational speaking and, and, and this whole concept, I think. Um, there's no shortage of quotes no. from this can gentleman. I, can I do two? Go on then. Can I? Um, the first one is a funny one, but I, I really like this one. Um, people often say that motivation doesn't last, but neither does bathing, which is why we recommend it daily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good, very good. Uh, and my other that? one, um, the, the more serious one, um, is lack of direction, not lack of time is the problem. We all have 24-hour days. Yeah, that is that is so true. Uh, it's really difficult to pick one. But I went for a lot of people have gone further than they thought they could because someone else thought they could. And I think we've all been given a break. We've all been given a chance at some time. And if you give people opportunity, they will usually rise to it. And I just think that's that's I think that's a really powerful one. We hope you've enjoyed this compilation show. Our final guru is Dame Scylla Snowball. Tracy and I will be back in the studio with a live show next week. So do tune in then for the business.community. This week's business leader has got possibly the best name ever. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. Um, And to add to all of that, she is a dame. She is Dame Priscilla Deborah Snowball or Scylla Snowball, which I just think is a fantastic name. Fantastic name. Born in 1958, um, she up until the end of last year, was um, chairman and chief exec of AMV BBDO, Abbott Mead Vickers, um, um, as you might more commonly know it. She graduated from Birmingham University in 1981 and went straight into the world of advertising, uh, where she joined Alan Brady Marsh and Ogilvy and Mather. Uh, she is... Um, was on the board of BBDO Worldwide. She's on the board of Comet Relief and Birmingham University. Uh, and she is chairman of the Advertising Association, I think. But I do need to just check that. She, she's had a lot of changes um, recently. In very I think. recent yeah, stepped down months, and yes. taken up new roles. Yeah. But, her, but she was made um, Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire in 2017 for services to advertising diversity and equality uh she's i want to be called dame Scylla snowball uh, yeah i want to be called dame anyway i just think it'd just be great it's like top trumps isn't it uh i see your cbe and i yeah dame, 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 the best. dame dame's the best so um a career woman uh, no question about it but uh, I've watched a number of videos uh, of her being interviewed and she seems really down to earth and really kind of quite normal. Um, she doesn't seem to have had to um, be, um, you know, a super bitch to, to, to succeed. And in fact, one interview that I watched, she talked about the fact that she fortunately um, hasn't encountered any 
um, uh, gender bias in her working career. Uh, she's not sure whether that's because of the environment that she works in, which is quite a creative environment. Uh, she said she's had more bias about her name <laughs> than, than about her gender, which I think is, is quite interesting given the period of time that she that she was coming up through the ranks, for want of a better word. Um, I, yeah, I quite like her. What, what What did you find out, Tracy? Well, um, unusually for me, I didn't watch any videos, so I'm interested in your take on, on how she comes across. I, I just stuck to um, um, surfing through the internet. Obviously, I started with Company's House, and she uh, has 25 appointments against her name, of which only two are current. But um, she... Uh, is a current director of Derwent London PLC and Golden Bay Mansions Limited. And she resigned as director of Abbott Mead Vickers um, on the 31st of December 2018. She's also resigned from Comic Relief and Business in the Community. So she's still involved in a um, lot of yeah. other things, but actually resigned as director for those organisations. Then looked at social media. So LinkedIn, she describes herself as portfolio director and Women's Business Council Chair and Great Private Sector Council. And on Twitter, she describes herself as Chair of the Women's Business Council, Great Private Sector Council and non-exec for Derwent London PLC. And she is active on Twitter. So unlike a, a lot of the people that we've looked at recently, with this sort of dormant social media account, she is posting on LinkedIn and she is posting on Twitter. Generally, I came away with the sense that actually there's a lot about her that I really connected with, largely based on two things. So I'm cards on the table here. One is the portfolio career. I so get that. This has always been my ambition and has pretty much been what I have been doing for the last 20 years. And she, she talks about... She said in, in one article I read in management, uh, no, sorry, this is in The Fold London, which is a, a tailoring company. Okay. And they've got interviews with their famous clients. Okay. So it was a really good interview. And she talks here about always having enjoyed the side hustle. So her decision to step down from AMV BBDO last year was so that she could pursue this portfolio career. And she said, having always enjoyed side hustles and non-exec projects, going plural was a natural transition for me. So what I like about her, she's given me another way to describe what I do. Plural. I've gone plural. I've gone plural. Yes, it yes. Sounds, sounds very good. But the other, <laughs> the other thing that really um, made me connect to her in a bizarre way is she's talking about her style on, on this um, tailoring website and she says that her wardrobe consists of smart workwear and walking the dog slob wear with nothing in between and she says I've always struggled with smart casual a phrase that terrifies me and I have to hold my hand up and say I'm in exactly the same boat I don't actually know what smart casual means but I don't have any of those sorts of clothes <laughs> I have smart and I have don't leave the house wearing yes, that sort yes. of clothes <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm in the same camp. She, um, I found an interview um, on uh, Barclays website um, where she was uh, asked a number of questions. Um, for example, what's the best piece of advice you've been given in business? And she said that um, the best piece of advice I have had from a colleague was from a departing boss of mine who wrote me a letter as he left saying, stop trying to be a perfectionist. Excellence is fine. 
It came at a moment when I was in manic overdrive towards perfectionism in everything that would have killed me if I'd continued with it. So I was very grateful for that constructive criticism at an important time. That's a really good point, isn't it? It is, it is. Uh, Because, and thinking about procrastination, you know, sometimes we are striving for something that is not necessarily achievable and it causes massive delay. Uh, And then one other, um, an interview that I saw, she'd been asked what was the most embarrassing moment in her career. And she mentioned that she was with at an important client meeting and they were they were presenting a, a piece of work and she was expecting her third child. And um, and she realised halfway through the meeting that she had gone into labour, <laughs> but she had to sit through the rest of the meeting because wow. um, the client was not prepared to end the meeting. So she literally had to hold on to this baby <laughs> That's and then hot foot it um, off to to be delivered. Well, it just makes me think really badly of the client. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm not sure at what stage in her career that was, yeah. but obviously at a time when she didn't feel able to say. Uh, I need to excuse myself. Um, <laughs> I'm about to have a baby. So I've, I found an article which talks about management style. And uh, this is a, a recent article, so from March 2019, in Management Today. And the article's called Why Kind Leadership Wins. And she's made a list of things that she thinks makes a great leader. I'll just quickly run through them now. She says, number one, they love customers and colleagues and can't get through a sentence without mentioning them. Two, they are game changers. They don't fear ambiguity or problems. They can make tough decisions. They grasp nettles. Three, getting results as a matter of personal pride, not commercial imperative. Four, they love people and build rock-solid relationships, not sock-rolid. Not sock-rolid, no. Number five, they take on big workloads but don't crumble under the pressure. They have courage and they are not afraid to admit their mistakes. Number six, they have values and value-driven side hustles. That's projects outside work alongside their day jobs. Seven, they are clear, consistent and confident on goals and decisive in implementation. Eight, they listen, they ask questions, they want to know what you think. Nine, they tell the truth. And ten, they are kind. And she says kindness should never be misinterpreted for weakness. Kind leaders have a steadfast belief that the good guys will win. Kindness in leadership has great power. Mm. Another good reason to like Scylla Snow. Absolutely, absolutely. Sorry, the snowball. <laughs> Silla yeah. snow. Silla snow, <laughs> snowball. Uh, I found um, a, um, a really interesting report, actually, that had been produced by Working Families. And um, lots of women in business uh, are, are writing in it, as is um, Dame Silla. And she talks about Generation Y and um, at, at length and, you know, their expectations of business, etc. And... Um, whilst I don't have a quote of hers from that, she actually quotes a Chinese proverb that says, if you want a lifetime of happiness, help the next generation. If we follow this, all the time we spend in understanding and helping Generation Y will be very well spent indeed for both them and for us. I like that. It's good, isn't it? It's, it's good. a good one. Well, my quote comes from the Management Today article that I was just referencing. She says, Do you really know what makes your people tick? Have you ever asked? Do you know their story, their ambition, their fears? That is absolutely the core of kind leadership. (music) 
You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.